this week, I want to focus in by answering this question. This is kind of our question of the day that I want to just wrap our arms around as we're uh, thinking about uh, walking out of this room. And, And the question is this, what is my role when it comes to my stress? What is my role when it comes to my stress? Now, I, I don't usually do this, but I, I just have to give a, a disclaimer to everything that's about to be spoken out of my mouth. And uh, I, I have to say that, that if you are only here this week and you don't come back next week, you are only hearing half. This is kind of a two-part uh, message, if you will. And so you're only going to get about half of, of what I really believe that God wants to speak to you. I want to uh, plead with you to come back next week because if the, you will be unbalanced in the way that you approach your stress and the, really the way that you approach your life if you only hear this week's message and don't come back next week to kind of hear the other side of, of the message. With all of that in mind today, Uh, Let's dive into what is my role when it comes to my stress. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, you would cause us to, uh, Lord, make changes, Lord, in our life. That, that, Lord, there would be decisions that are made, things that uh, change as we leave this room, that life change would take place and would happen. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said there was a survey done recently where 350 people were surveyed, and that the question that they asked those 350 people were, uh, what are the top five stressors in your, your life? And I thought that maybe I just kind of uh, show to you, I'd do a reveal of what that survey showed, because I think that uh, at least one of these, maybe more of these, will land in your life as well. And so let's take a look at what those 350 people surveyed is, their top five concerns, things that cause them stress in their life. They, the number one thing was that they were stressed about letting people down. They, they felt this 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 tension, this anxiety, this stress about, I don't want to let someone down. Could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a mom or dad, could be a, a teacher, a friend, uh, a, a leader in some way of, of your life, but they didn't want to let people down. Number two was they were concerned about what other people thought of them, what other people uh, think of me. And the third one was personal failure. This is probably the one that brings me uh, the greatest amount of stress is what if this all goes up in flames? What if the job falls apart? What, you know, what if the relationship goes sour? What, uh, what if this doesn't work out? What if I tried to start what I felt like I was supposed to do, but then, you know, the, the business flops or, uh, you know, just this, this sense of what if it fails? And so that's number three. And then number four was, was money. And so, and I thought maybe this one would probably land with 90% of the room uh, here was that uh, just money. Thinking about money, talking about money, looking at a budget, looking at the end of the month at the bills that haven't been paid, or uh, however that situation looks, looking at upcoming expenses uh, that is happening, just stressed about money. And then number five was people said that they were worried uh, or stressed about their children, that their kids brought them uh, anxiety. How many of you had at least one of those that, that resonated with you? Yeah. And so... So the the same group of people were asked, they were asked to not only list the top five stressors, they were asked to give feedback. In other words, they were allowed to actually ask questions or give sentences to 
uh, to the survey. And there were two of these that I read that really stuck out to me that I want to uh, give to you because they're, it's going to set us up for kind of where we're headed uh, today in our, in our talk. Some, the first one I, I read was this person said, I've heard that worry is the opposite of faith. That is probably true, but we have to be careful about faith. Some people think that they should have faith in God that will protect them and their loved ones, and if they believe that, they think it will decrease their worry. But then something bad happens, and their faith takes a nosedive, and their anxiety skyrockets. And maybe you're here today, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or you're kind of on that journey and thinking about following Jesus, and, and, uh, or maybe you're here and you go, I don't know if I want anything to do with that, and, and it's really because maybe you've seen this play out in a Christian's life. You've seen uh, uh, somebody that claimed to have faith in God and uh, claimed to walk with God and trust God for their life, but then God maybe didn't come through in a situation, and so uh, then their faith kind of bottomed out, and, and you saw this emotional roller coaster that this uh, person went on that you were maybe knew or you were close to, and you're like, man, I don't know if I want that kind of an emotional roller coaster, you know, with my relationship with God. So you maybe you're here and you're going, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, jump in on this faith in God thing because I've seen the way this plays out in some Christians' Life And I can understand that. Here's one more piece of uh, feedback that, that I read that really resonated with me, and that was this. Somebody said, I worry that I might miss God's plan for my life because I'm type A enough to make it happen on my own. Uh, and this one really resonated with me, where uh, I, I can make plans and strategies and move down the road quickly, and, and, and sometimes I get concerned with, man, have I missed God because I've moved so fast and, and started setting the strategies up for success in my own life. And so this one, I really, it, it really kind of registered with me. So the question for today is, what is, what is God's role in, in my stress? If if faith is true, if Christianity is real, what is God's role in my life when it comes to my stress levels, the anxiety that's happening in my life, the things that are taking place? What is God's role? And then the second question that we're answering today is, what is your role? So if God has a role, then we have a role. And here's, here's what I, I kind of want to say. There's actually, this is kind of both sides to this, and most of us lean towards one side or another when it comes to this subject. Most of us will lean towards it's all God or, you know, God, you know, that's fine, but I got to do some stuff and I got to take care of some stuff. So if the, the tension is, what, which side do you, do you lean on? And, and how far do we lean towards, you know, well, it's God's or how far do we lean towards, well, we've got to do what we've got to do and take care of stuff. And, and that just really leads us to two questions. And the two questions that, uh, that leads us to, to kind of show the two sides of the coin here is, does faith lead to apathy? Does faith lead to, to apathy? So in other words, if, if I get sick, I'm just not going to go to the doctor because if God wants me to be healed, then, you know, he'll, he'll take care of my body. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's all on God. So if, if God wants me to have, you know, a man in my life, you know, or a woman in my life, then he'll bring that person to my doorstep, you know. He'll, he'll send someone, you know. And so I'm not going to go. I'm not going to put forth any effort, you know, to, to get to know people or any of that. So if God wants it to happen, then God will just let it happen. I'm not going to do anything about that situation. I'm not even going to worry about it because it's in God's hands. It's not for me to, to worry about or take care of. So that the question of does faith lead to apathy? And then the other side of the, 
the coin is, is taking action a lack of trust in God? Is taking action for the things that are stressing us out, for the anxiety in our life, for the things that are taking place, the situations that arise, is, is taking action a lack of trust? So if I start that career training, is that a lack of trust in God? If I go ahead and start the company, if I start the business, is that not trusting God? If I take the pill that was prescribed by the doctor, am I, am I saying to God, I don't trust you, I'm going to trust medicine uh, to take care of this? So what is God's role and what is our role? And is, is it all God? Is it all us? And what's the balance, the tension of how do we live with our, our stresses? Do we trust God or do we take action? And so uh, this morning, as we dive into the text that, that we're going to dive into, I want to just give you some background to it. It's a text that's out of a book called Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is, uh, it is in the Old Testament, which if you don't know what the Old Testament is, that means it's like before Jesus was physically here on the earth. It's in the Old Testament. And it was written by a guy named, named Moses. And uh, Deuteronomy is actually uh, a book that where Moses is giving an account in the text that we're about to read. Uh, he's giving an account of what happened with these people called the Israelites. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. At this time, there's about two million of them. And, uh, and, and so the Israelites were, if you don't know the story, they were, they were enslaved to a people in, they, called Egyptians. And uh, they were enslaved in Egypt. And uh, God, through a series of events called the plagues, and if you ever want to, you know, Google that and look up movies on the plagues. There's some great movies out about uh, the plagues. And God used a guy named Moses uh, through these 10 plagues to, to rescue and to set free these Israelite people, the Hebrew people. And and then God did all these kind of crazy miracles they, where they, like, God parted this big red sea, and, and uh, they walked down the middle of it, and then they, as they got across the other side, God made the waters go back again, and all their enemies were drowned and crushed. This is like the stuff that movies are made of, you know? And so, uh, and, and so this is the text that we're diving into. And then uh, the Bible says that it took them 40 years to cross over into the place where that God wanted to give them, called the promised land. So he takes them out of this land that they were enslaved in in Egypt, and he wants to help get them to the promised land, the land that he wants to give them. And it's, it's really odd because as you look at a map, and even in just walking, you know, they didn't have cars back then, in case you were wondering about biblical times. But, and so they, they walked. And so just walking, it would only take about a year to get to the promised land. So it doesn't make any sense that it took 40 years for them. So literally what you what you learn about the Israelite people is they literally wandered around the desert in circles for 40 years. And Moses is, is about to die. This is after they had made it to the promised land. And he's about to pass off uh, the scene. Actually, they're about to go into the promised land. They're not, they haven't yet gone into the promised land. And uh, they're about to do that. Moses is about to pass off the scene. And he actually rehearses, he recounts everything that had happened for them a year into their journey in after they'd been uh, set free from slavery. So he says, listen, a year in, we were supposed to go into the promised land, but you didn't have the courage to do what it took to actually obey God and go into the promised land. So we were able, we were not able to go, go in. And so he's actually rehearsing, he's retelling the story. Here we are, 39 years after this event took place, he's now telling the story of what happened when they didn't have the courage to go in. 
And as we read this, I want you to think about your own life. And what I want you to think about is your story that's being written because we have a story that is being written about our life. And I want you to think about what was the point, what was the, the turning mark, when, when was the, the, the kind of the point where you had an opportunity to be faithful and to plow through on what God had asked you to do, but because you lack courage, you didn't take the jump, you didn't take the step, you didn't have the conversation, you didn't do whatever it was you needed to do, and, and so think about your life 20 years from now, 30 years from now. 40 years from now, what will they say about you uh, and, and what, will be, what will be your story? So as we dive into uh, Moses rehearsing that story of 39 years ago, keep that in mind. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 19 through 40, we're going to walk through this text together. Moses says, then just as the Lord our God commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness. So he says, 39 years ago, uh, I realized that it was scary. We went into the wilderness, and it was, it was hard. I, I get that. It was a scary time. And then he says, as you yourselves remember, and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites when we arrived at Kadesh Barnea. Now, the reason why the Kadesh Barnea part of this is significant is because Kadesh Barnea is actually on the edge of the promised land. It was right, they were right there. They were right there at the edge of what God wanted to do in their life and the promised land that he had taken uh, them into. And then he said in verse 20, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord our God is giving us. And so he, he, he says, okay, this is the tension between, and as we read this, this is the tension between what is God's role and what is your role. He said, God's already given us this land. Verse 21, look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. So he says, a year after God delivered us from slavery, we could have went in. We could have just went in. It was right there. God told us to go. It was waiting for us. God said, go. We could have. It would have been awesome. Uh, and, and this is what God said. God said, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Now, we find this uh, all throughout the Bible where as God was talking and, and, and speaking with humanity, there were there so many occurrences where he would say, don't be afraid. And don't be discouraged. He'd use an angel at times to do that. He'd use another person in somebody's life to say that. He would, he would say that himself to people. And so he says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Now, why do we see that so much here and, and all over the Bible where God has to continually tell people, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged? Well, the reason why we see that is because we are naturally afraid and we are naturally discouraged, right? Like we are, this is like human nature is to be afraid and to be discouraged. So God has to continually over and over with humanity say, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. We're afraid to have that conversation. We're afraid to take that next step. We're afraid to put a plan together. We're, we're scared of what's going to happen. And so God says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. I can't fix this. I, I can't fix this family. I can't fix this relationship. I can't stare down the addiction. I, 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 can't, I, I can't fix this. I'm afraid. I have a lack of courage, which causes me to be discouraged. I, and so, verse 22, but you all came to me and said, first, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take in which towns we should enter. 
Well, why did they want to send out scouts? Here's why they wanted to send out scouts. They wanted to send out scouts to confirm what they already knew, that this was going to be really hard to do, and it was going to be pretty scary, and that maybe they shouldn't do it. And have you ever, like, done research to confirm what you already knew? How many have ever done that before? Like, I think I already know what's, what this is, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my research to, uh, to complete my hypothesis on the fact that I shouldn't do this. And uh, those of you that are married, you've done this because as you're interacting with your spouse, you know you want to prepare your argument well. And so, you know, you'll do the research that it takes, you know, so you have some ammunition there. And so maybe that's just Christy and I. But uh, verse 24, it says, They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eshel and explored it. And they reported, the land the Lord our God has given us is indeed a good land. So it was an amazing land. And, and so they get that. But then here's what you got to understand about everything that's happening here. There was a majority report and there was a minority report. Everybody say a majority report and a minority report. And, and here's who they listened to, verse 26. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. So God told you not to be afraid. God told you not to be discouraged. Yet you said, yeah, the land is great and it looks nice and, and everything. But there's these giants and, and, you know, we're refugees and we really don't think this is a good idea. We really don't think that this will work. And so uh, God had given it to you. Instead, you lacked the courage to do it. So you actually rebelled against God. Verse 27, you complained in your tents and said, and, and isn't this what we do? Isn't this, isn't this what we do? We, we, we don't do what God asks us to do and what we have the courage to do, and then we blame God for it, right? Well, if God wanted me, you know, the, if God wanted to fix our finances, then he would send a, a bird, you know, with money in to our porch, and he would deliver the cash, you know? If God really wanted to fix this, you know, then he would just change my man. He would change my wife, he, you know? If God really wanted me to, uh, to go to college, then he would just write in the sky where I'm supposed to go to college, you know? And so we, we sit around, we don't do what God asks us to do, then we blame God for it. Well, God, why aren't you doing anything? And I thought, you know, we sang, you know, this is a move. And we, you know, and you, we, I actually prayed and said you'd move. And then you didn't move. And I don't understand why you're not doing anything. And, and so verse, uh, the, next, the next verse continues. The Lord must hate us. The Lord must hate us. Now, I won't have you lift up your hands. But how many of you have ever had that thought? The Lord must hate us. That's why he has brought us here from Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us. This is some beautiful whining with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And so apparently there were like uh, really large people. They were like the precursor of, of you know, NFL or NBA players, you know, and so, you know, that we saw giants there, and, and then verse 29, this is Moses talking, but I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. In other words, you think I didn't know that this is going to be hard? You think I didn't know that this was going to uh, be tough to do? Verse 30, the Lord your God is going ahead of you. 
He will fight for you, just as you saw him do in Egypt. In other words, remember Egypt? That was only a year ago, y'all. Remember we were in slavery, two million of us, and we didn't know how we were ever going to get out of slavery, and then God brought these supernatural plagues, and, and then he drowned our enemies, and, and y'all got bad memories. Like, like, this was just a year ago, and you've already forgotten what God did for us, and now you're scared again. I mean, come on. I mean, how many of you, how many think if you had something as supernatural as the plagues or God drowning your enemies, that that would be enough to last you your whole life? Like, I trust God for whatever now. And, and, and no, it's, we as human beings have a quick, quick memory loss when it comes to what God can do for us. It's, it's really quickly. We can go, I know you did it back then, God, but that, you know, that was then and this is now. And I don't see you doing anything. Verse 31. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. In other words, he's brought you here. This is God. God set this up for you. Do something. Do not lack the courage to now go in. And I told you, God has set all this up. Just do something. And and then I love what it says. It says God cares for his children like a father. So in other words, God God's not only saying do something, he's going to care for you while you're doing something. While you're moving forward, he's going to care for you. You're not going to be alone. There's no reason to be scared, but God is going to be with you. Verse 32. But even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God. When the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. Now, God says, you want to whine? You want to complain? You don't want to do it? You don't trust me? Forget about it. Just forget about it. None of you. Ain't none of y'all going in. I'm not letting any of you all in, except, verse 36, Caleb, son of Jephunu, he will see this land because he has followed the Lord completely. He has followed the Lord completely. He has followed the Lord completely. In other words, he was a part of the minority report. Caleb said, yes, it's hard. Yes, they're big people. Yes, the walls are high. Yes, it's not going to be easy. I saw the same things that you saw. The only difference is that I wasn't just looking with eyes of the flesh. I was looking with eyes of the spirit and seeing the same things that you saw and knowing that God was going to come through for us. How many of you know you can look at something? Two people can look at the same thing and see something different. One person sees obstacles. The other person sees opportunities. One person sees how it won't work. The other person can see what God can do. So that's what what the, the verse is saying. And then he goes on to say, I will give to him, talking about Caleb, and his descendants some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. And the Lord was also angry with me. This is Moses talking about. In other words, Moses saying, hey, God was not only mad at you, he was mad at me too. In other words, he's saying, thanks a lot, y'all. Because of your lack of trust and your lack of courage, God now is upset with me too. 
Because of, me, of you, he said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant Joshua, your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. So, I, man, I, I helped deliver these people from slavery, saw the miracles that God did, and now I don't even get to go into the promised land because we couldn't believe. So now my assistant Joshua gets to lead the people. Verse 39. I will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones who occupy it. Isn't this interesting? In an effort to protect their families and to protect their children, God says those same people that you were trying to protect 39 years ago are now going to be the people that have the courage to go in. The same, you were worried about their safety. You were worried about their security. And instead of trusting me with your children and saying, God's got this, we're going to have the courage to make the move, we're going to do what we're supposed to do, and we're going to trust that God's going to take care of our, our families. Instead of doing what God has called you to do, those people that you were trying to protect are now going to be the people that trust me enough to have the courage to go in. Wow. Verse 40. As for you, turn around now and go on back through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So God says to Moses, you're not going in. Joshua's going in. You couldn't lead these people to have enough courage to trust me and to do what I had asked them to do. So what I want you to do now is turn around and go back to the wilderness. And let me say this. Some of you are living in the wilderness. You are wandering around and you feel like, why, did, why do things not change? Why is nothing getting better? Why is that situation not getting better? Why, why aren't the finances coming through? Why is that relationship the same? Why am I still addicted the way that I've always been addicted? Why is nothing changing? Why do I literally feel like it's Groundhog's Day in my life? Like I'm just waking up and it's the same thing and it's the same way and God's not doing anything and I don't understand. It was because if you'll think about it, if you'll look back, there was probably a moment where God took you to the edge of what he wanted for your life, but you lack the courage to take the next step, and so now you've turned around and you're wandering around in the wilderness. Oh, here's the point of all this today. It's a sentence, and it's what I want you to write down today. The first part of the, the sentence is this. God is in control. God is in control. The Christian word for that that's in the Bible is a word called sovereign. And sovereign simply means this, God's in control. God is the one who decides the fate of the universe. God is the one who ultimately is the decision-making power for everything that happens on this planet. God is sovereign. God is the one who controls. He is the one who set the planets in place, and he is the one who takes care of my life and of your life. Ultimately, our lives are in God's hands. God is sovereign. He is in control. But then that's not the end of this. The end of this is God is in control, but you have a role. You have a role. What is your role? Something you need to start. Something you need to stop. Something you need to battle. A conversation you need to have. Something you need to do that you're afraid to do. Something that God 
has control of, but ultimately he's looking at you and saying, I'm with you and I care about you, but I want you now to make the next move. I'm waiting on you. Some of you go, well, I'm waiting on God. Well, God's waiting on you. And there was a powerful philosopher that, uh, that lived hundreds of years ago that wrote uh, a statement that has been quoted for, for hundreds of years, and his name is St. Augustine, and this is what he said. He said, pray as if it all depends on God. Work as if it all depends on you. Pray as if it all depends on God. Work as if it all depends on you. So let's talk about your role for a second with that in mind, okay? If you're a worker who doesn't pray much, pray. Look this way, y'all. If you're a worker who doesn't pray much, pray. Well, I think we should send out the scouts. You notice that they said, God said, hey, you're at the edge of the promised land. You're about to go in. You notice that, it, that nowhere in there did they pray about going in. Because if they would have prayed about going in, God would have said, hey, it's going to be really hard, but I want you to do this and I'm going to be with you. Okay? Instead, they said, let's send out scouts. I got a strategy here. I got a thing here. I'm going to work to get it all done. Listen, if you live on this side of the coin, and this, my friends, is the United States of America. This is, you can come to this country, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and if you work hard enough, you can make something of your life. And there is some truth to that. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christ follower who has given his or her life to Jesus, and you're in this room, and you're going, and you're a worker who doesn't pray much, you've got to begin to pray. Here's the other side of the coin. If you're a prayer who doesn't work much, get to work. Don't just sit there. Do something. Get some help. Listen, I live with the philosophy in my own personal life that if I have a problem, most problems I don't always know how to handle, but I know that I am a phone call away from somebody who knows how to handle it or knows somebody else that knows how to handle it. That is literally how I've operated, how I've lived with mentors and coaches and spiritual fathers in my life and, and books that I've read, whatever it is, that there are many times you go, okay, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. Listen, get some help. This is a great reason why you should be in a small group because small groups give you access to uh, how other people think about something and getting it gives you perspective and thought on here's the way you can look at this or there's somebody in your small group that has access to somebody that can help you so if you're a prayer who doesn't work much get to work Put a plan together. Set a strategy up. Get some help. Talk to the counselor. Figure out what you need to do and then do it. Now, thinking about this, let's go back as we started. Let's go back to the top five fears that, that people listed. Talking about our role in those fears. So the, the number one fear, letting other people down. Letting other people down, okay? Letting other people down. So the the... First question is, is, are you letting them down? So in other words, 
I got to tell you that much of this is just in our heads. It's in our minds. We live with this. Well, I've let them down. And, and so we wait. We go, I've, I've let them down. I've let that parent down. I've let that person down. I've let my spouse down. I've let that friend down. I've let that leader down. I've let that, you know, whatever. I've let the, my, my job down. So we live with this tension, this anxiety, this stress of I'm, I'm letting them down. Well, the first thing you need to do to, to, to kind of weed through that is are you really letting them down? And if the answer you come up with is yes, I really believe that I am letting them down, here's the next step. Have the courageous conversation that you don't want to have. Well, what do I say? Here's what you say. I'm going to give you some insight. I feel as if I might be letting you down. Can you tell me why I'm letting you down? Can you tell me why I'm estranged from my parents? Why my kids won't talk to me right now? Can you tell me why I've let you down? Why our friendship isn't the same as it used to be? Can you, can you just, why I feel like I'm not getting promoted at my job? Why I've, I've, I've started letting this company down? Can you just have the courageous conversation that you want, don't want to have? I'll tell you the conversation that you need to have. If there's somebody in your mind that you think that's the last conversation I want to have, that's the conversation you need to have. Okay? Number two, y'all, I don't know if you're mad at me or what you think. It's getting some fun faces up here. So, number two, second fear, what other people think of me. Here's what I want you to do when, it, when you think about what other people think of you. Focus more on what God thinks of you. Well, what does God think of me? If you're wondering, what does God actually think of me? I want you to go to a book this week uh, called the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible. And if you'll read literally just the first two chapters in the book of Ephesians, you're going to find in those first two chapters over 50 things that God thinks about you. Things like you are forgiven, you are loved, you are secure, you are his child. You'll find as you read through that, listen, all 50 of them, look this way, surprise, surprise, are good. God thinks good thoughts about you. And if you'll worry more and think more about what God thinks of you than what others think of you, your life will not have the same amount of stress. Number three, personal failure. Personal failure. Here's the question. Are you doing everything you can do? If you're here and you're stressed out about your job, your family, a situation that's about to go up in flames, do you have a plan? Are you getting wisdom from, uh, from somewhere? Do you, do you need to get counseling? Are you doing everything you can do? Here's another way that I like to think about my life, and it may help you too. Five years from now, what will I wish that I had done? If I'm fast-forwarding in my life, five years from now, what will I wish that I had done. I'm going to wish I'd made that call. I'm going to wish that I'd, I'd fought harder for that friendship that now has dissipated and is gone. I'm going, to, I'm going to wish that I would have quit that job. I'm going to wish I would have stayed at that job. I'm going to wish that I would have taken my health more seriously. Whatever it is that you've got in your life that causes that stress of I feel like I'm failing in my health. I feel like I'm failing in a relationship. I feel like I'm failing financially. I'm failing in my work. I'm failing in what God's called me to do. I'm failing in this dream that God has placed in my heart. If I'm fast forwarding five years from now, what is it that I wish that that I would have done because that's probably what I should be doing right now, right? Huh. 
So have that conversation. Start that. Quit that. Stare down that addiction. Get help with whatever it is that you need to do. Have you done everything you can do? Let's talk next about everybody's favorite subject, money. Money. So here's your role. Create a financial, let's say that word together, plan. Create a financial plan. Well, I just, it just worried me. Here we are, and man, just, the credit card bills are stacking up, and the debt's continuing, and I can't pay the mortgage, and what about this? So we got this upcoming thing happening, and I don't know how to handle this, and man, it just seems like we can't get our footing, and, and it's just uh, over and over and over, and what, you know, what, what do we do? And so he, here's a, a good thing that I want to give you. We're going to have a financial planning class this summer. This summer, instead of our small groups, we're taking a break off of our small groups, and we're going to have a financial planning class. If I was you and you wanted to know how to set up your finances for the future, I would take that class. We've had people that have gone through that class. We did it two years ago, and there are people, you're going to hear testimonies as we promote that, their life was forever changed, forever changed. Why? Because God isn't going just, he's not going to do your budget for you. Okay, it's his money, but you're the manager. And so he's asking you to come up with a plan, okay? And let me just tell you, if your plan isn't working up till now, you probably need a new plan. In other words, I don't think my plan is good in this area. I think I need to instill someone else's plan and let's talk to the experts and let's actually walk through, and I'm just gonna tell you, the class that we're offering this summer, it's not anything that I wrote. Okay, because I'm not an expert in this area. But there are experts in this area that we can learn from and that we can set up a financial plan for success in our lives. Number five, my kids. My kids, here's the biggest question, and this is the question that we, that are parents, will have to answer before the Lord someday. I won't have to answer for, did my, did my, did my kids get this job? Did they make it in that career? Did they go to this college? Did they go to this school? Okay, here's the question that God, and I have this in my heart, every day when I wake up in my house is, Am I, are we teaching our kids to follow Jesus? You literally have 18 years to disciple somebody. 18 years or longer for some of your kids that don't want to move out, okay? So you have so many years to, to literally pour into them, get them into environments, teach them what it means to read their Bible, teach them what it means to pray, teach them what it means to serve in the local church, teach them what it means to tithe and, and give God their finances, teach them what it means to date the right people that love Jesus, teach them what it means, what, whatever issue, whatever avenue, whatever it is, are you teaching your kids to follow Jesus? Because here's what I promise you. If you will make this the priority of your parenting, everything else is going to be okay. If you will get them focused on God's word, focused on hearing God's voice, if you will teach your kids how to do that, they'll be able to make decisions that are better than most if they will learn how to follow Jesus. God is in control, 
but you have a role. I want you to say that with me. Say, God is in control, but I have a role. God is in control, but I have a role. As Christy comes, there is no one that exemplifies this subject better than Jesus himself. You know why? Because the day before, he's got to be arrested and beaten and tortured and then placed on the cross. That's the event that, that we celebrated two weeks ago called Good Friday and Easter. Watch what he does. Matthew chapter 26, verses 44 through 46. So he went to pray a third time. Look at that. He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He's praying now a third time. In other words, he knew this, I have to have God's strength to do what he's asked me to do. I need the strength of God. I need the courage of God. I need the peace of God. I need the security of God. I need to know that the Father cares for what's happening in my life. So he prays not once, not twice. He prays the third time. Then he came to the disciples who weren't praying. That's a whole other sermon. And said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, he said, let's be going. In other words, I'm praying and I'm asking God for the courage, for the strength, for the peace, for the caring that only God can give me. But then I have to act. I have to move. I have to go. I have to do what God has called me to do. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus actually, they said, you know, did, is, it, did he take his life? Did they take your life away? He said, no, no one takes my life. I give my life. So he understood, I'm going to pray. It's not just about the work that I do to fulfill the mission that the, God the Father has sent me on. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God for the courage and the peace and the safety and the security and the strength and the care. I'm going to ask God for it, but then I have to move. I have to act. I have to do it. Jesus exemplified this for us in such a powerful way. 